Hello and welcome to episode 96 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I am one of the co-founders here at ETR. As always, I am joined by fellow co-founder Evan Silva. I am also joined by our director of analytics, Mike Leone. And with many, many of you drafting very soon, we are here to wrap up our positional strategy series, this time with tight ends. Evan, what's going on? What's up, man? This is the deepest year I can remember. And I, it's become like a meme that every year people you know, say that the tight end position is deep and then it never is. I, I truly, th- I'm, I'm buying the Kool-Aid this year. I truly think it is deep. Um, we've just had a, a great influx of young tight ends, um, not necessarily even guys drafted in the first and second round of the real life NFL draft, but you know, guys like Chris Herndon and, and Blake Jarwin that you know, ha- have opportunities to pop and you can get really, really late. Um, so I'm excited to, uh, to break down this position with you guys. Uh, there, there's just, there's a lot of young talent at this position. Yeah, we'll talk about that kind of back to your Evan and I have already talked about that a bunch on previous pods, but we'll talk about it here from a strategy perspective. Leone, what's going on? Not too much. Excited to talk about tight end. I There's no DeAndre Hopkins at tight end for Evan and I to argue about. So that makes it a little bit less fun, but still looking forward to it. Um, okay. I hope you guys have already listened to the first three versions of this show where we discuss quarterback, running back, wide receiver. Again, our goal is to talk about high level strategy for drafting what we think is correct. Understand some relative player values, basically how we'd handle the position, how we think about the position going into your home league draft. Before we get into that, wanted to remind everyone that our draft kit is just $35. If you have been slacking in your prep, we have you covered. And most importantly, all our rankings, cheat sheets, stay updated to reflect the latest news and market data. And I'd also add that the bundle is now available, uh, packaging together the draft kit and the in-season product for the lowest price. It will be all season. That's up there as we speak. So head to establishyourrun.com to check it out all out. I, for one, am so pumped for the week one. DFS slate because let's be honest, that is the greatest form of fantasy. I don't care what Silva or anybody else has to say. Okay, tight ends. Similar to quarterbacks, this is a onesie position, Leone, aka we only have to start one of them. But unlike quarterback, the position scarcity is something we at least need to consider at a high level. How do you think about tight end versus the other onesie position quarterback, Leone? Yeah, it's definitely different than quarterback because guys can separate. You know, if you look at the baseline of the worst starting quarterback drafted in a league, it's still a really high floor, probably some decent upside. If you look at the worst starting tight end that's going to be drafted in your 12 team league, you know, Kelsey, Kittle, they can eviscerate that tight end in total points. So you can get an edge that actually is worth drafting early. It doesn't mean you have to take a tight end early by any means. We just mentioned the depth there, but the point differential between the top tight ends and the baseline level of tight end starters in your league is a lot wider than it's going to be at the quarterback position. And the point that I would make also is that something happens to your starting quarterback in a 12 team league, you go to the waiver wire, like you only drafted one of them, you go to the waiver wire. I mean, it's a bonanza in, in most leagues as the benches are relatively short and you're only starting one quarterback. I can go to the waiver wire and stream some really good quarterbacks at tight end, man, you go to the waiver wire at tight end and you could be looking at like, two points or three points. And that's a big, big difference between quarterback and tight end. Evan, how do you think generally about tight end heading into kind of a casual draft? Well, we have talked about this a little bit, but um, I I like, I like to take an elite tight end real, real early. 
Um, and I've started to include Zach Ertz in that because I think he's just going to remain the, the alpha in, in Philadelphia. Um, and he's got a really high floor. I mean, he's got 800 plus yards in like five straight years. Um, and I think he's got a lot of upside. I believe in that offense. Um, but yeah, Kelsey, Kittle, Ertz, Andrews. I want to take an early tight end or else I'm just going to wait and take like two or three three guys, depending on what format I'm playing. Obviously, if I'm FFP, if I'm in FFPC and I'm playing, you know, tight end premium, then I'm probably going to take three tight ends. Uh, and certainly in best ball, I try to take uh, three tight ends as well, um, unless I get, um, you know, in, uh, an elite early tight end, then I'll only take two. Um, but yeah, that, that's how I, I don't, I don't like to, you know, I'm not trying to take Austin Hooper to be my starting tight end, like in the seventh or eighth round, you know, I'm not even trying to take like Tyler Higby. Uh, in that range. Um, I think that Darren Waller has some downside. Uh, Evan Ingram has obvious downside. Um, you know, I, I'm higher, I'm higher than market on Jared Cook for sure, but I still don't love taking him as my starting tight end. We're higher than market on Rob Gronkowski, and I don't love to take him as my starting tight end unless he slips past his ADP. So for me, it's elite tight end or taking, you know, multiple uh, dart throws at guys like Ian Thomas, Blake Jarwin, maybe Jonu Smith, definitely Irv Smith, uh, and you know the the sleeper of all sleepers, Tyler Eifert. Oh God. Okay, we're gonna get into that back end here in a second. Here, I want to go back to the top because I think it's at least worth debating. I mean, Travis Kelsey is in this outrageous offense and outrageous talent. He is getting a little bit older. I don't think that's a big factor for him yet. George Kittle has. Uh, been dominant from a yards per route run. I mean, his efficiency is outrageous, but they do ask him to block uh, a ton. Um, I think there's at least a case to be made that Mark Andrews can outscore both of these guys. You can get Mark Andrews two, three rounds later. Mark Andrews played through so many injuries last year. Uh, now healthy. Hayden Hurst is gone. I think the snaps and routes should rise for Mark Andrews. And he, Mark Andrews is just like a strict route runner. I mean, they don't ask him to block at all. They don't even think about asking to block. And I also think Baltimore is likely to throw more. Maybe Leone can count, can comment on that more. I mean, I think there's definite paths to Mark Andrews finishing as the TE1 ahead of Kelsey and Kittle. So I don't think, at least for me, like if I miss on Kelsey and Kittle and I still want to have an elite tight end, I think Mark Andrews in like round three, round four, he might go close to round four in some casual home leagues is at least interesting to me. Uh, Leone, what do you think from a, at least a math perspective about the chances of Andrews finishing ahead of Kelsey and Kittle. Yeah, I absolutely love Mark Andrews. I think he can compete with them. And it's almost like you read my bullet points that I had <laughs> preconceived here. You know, they're probably going to have to throw more just because they ran so much last year because the game scripts were so favorably from the start. You know, maybe not the first few weeks they had that loss to Kansas City, but the whole second half of the season, they were blowing teams out. And now that's probably just not going to happen again. I think you could apply similar rationale to San Francisco and George Kittle. There's also reason to expect the target share to expand. And he was already targeted on a really high percentage of routes, Mark Andrews, and had one of the most efficient tight end seasons there was. Pat Corain wrote a really good article on which tight ends early to buy into and fade. And these guys like Kittle and Andrews, who are highly efficient, have targeted per snap a really high amount. And now all of a sudden we see routes to them being targeted even more due to injuries on their team, you know, with Kittle Debo's working on something. Jalen Hurd's probably out for the year with Andrews. It's the loss of Hayden Hurst. It's not like Nick Boyle is going to step up and become Hayden Hurst. So 
I love him in the third, fourth round. I think the upside's elite where maybe some of the efficiency claws back, but it's more than made up with by increased volume. Yeah, and so the, I guess the point that I wanted to make is that just because you want to lead tight end doesn't mean you have to burn first or second on Kelsey and Kittle. And that's like when we talk about macro strategy, like, yeah, there's macro strategy, but there's also you need to understand relative value of players. And that's where kind of the player takes come in. I feel like, Evan, we haven't spent a lot of time on Mark Andrews and gotten your take on him. I know you're big on Kelsey. I know you're big on Kittle. Do you see at least some path to Mark Andrews finishing ahead of them? Yes, yes. I mean, just look at Mark Andrews' yards per route run since he entered the league. I mean, the dude is, you know, insanely, insanely efficient. And I think that the Ravens offense as a whole is going to remain very, very efficient. I think he's got some risk of of touchdown regression. Um, certainly Lamar Jackson is at that risk. And I think, you know, as we've discussed, I think that Lamar Jackson probably goes from 36 passing touchdowns to probably like 25. And Andrews scored 10 of those, 10 of the 36 last year. It's just, it's hard to score double digit touchdowns. He's got diabetes and, um, you know, I'm not a doctor and I'm not going to pretend to be one, but, you know, it does seem to me that if he were to contract COVID, then, I mean, he would be likelier than most players to just shut it down. So I think that there is some downside. You know, you can poke some holes in Mark Andrews' fantasy outlook, but no question, um, the talent is immense. Uh, I still think the situation is very, very good. Uh, I, I mean, he played 41% of the snaps last year. He's certainly going to be, I think, above 50%, assuming he stays healthy. Um, and yeah, I think that he's got more upside than Zach Ertz. See, I have a, the first tier is Kelsey and Kittle for me. And then I have a, a very small second tier and it's Ertz and Andrews. If you were just going to go strictly on upside, I think you go with Andrews. Uh, but I, but I have Ertz a little bit ahead of him because of, I think a, a higher floor and plenty of upside that Ertz offers as well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I want to come back to that middle range that Evan already mentioned, kind of avoiding and go to the late late stage, uh, the late tier tight ends. The issue for me is typically overconfidence. I'm always thinking I can pick the late round tight end that's going to hit. Like I remember Evan, I don't know if you remember a long time ago at Roto World, we were like all in on Jordan Cameron on the Browns and it was like the biggest lock ever and, and it worked out. And I felt that way about Darren Waller last year. Of course, I remember the good ones. I'm sure there's been plenty of late round tight ends that I have completely struck out on. But this year, I'm excited about a lot of them. So the case for avoiding Kelsey, Kittle, Andrews, Ertz is to say, now hold on a minute. I can pick the next Darren Waller. It's TJ Hawkinson. It's Noah Fant. It's Chris Herndon. It's Mike Jasicki. It's Ian Thomas. Um, you know, and, and there's the problem with all these guys is that uh, they're excellent athletes. We don't know for sure about how their efficiency is going to work out. A lot of them had extremely shaky efficiency. And that's something that Corrine pointed to in his research that pointed towards tight end breakouts. So Leone, am I being overconfident in my ability to pick out these late round tight ends that are going to hit? I don't think so. I think where the overconfidence comes into play is more taking that fifth, sixth round tight end. And what I've looked at some historical ADP stuff at the position and sometimes I don't like historical ADP stuff because each situation is unique and the context is different for different guys. But broadly, tight ends going in that fifth to seventh round range have been poor returns on investment because it's really hard for those guys to match the upside of the elite tight ends. 
it's almost like their ceiling is about the same as the ceiling of the guys you like to target anyways. And the floor is somewhat similar and we just get a little bit tricked and we have overconfidence, you know, was, was it, I think it was OJ Howard last year or Hunter Henry a couple of times though. Henry was more due to injury, which is bad luck. So, and the other thing is the opportunity cost there. We just recorded the wide receiver podcast. We love the receivers in that range. So I think your overconfidence comes there where Waller's got to contend with an offense that might not be great. And there's just a ton of pieces for targets as good as he was last year. Evan Ingram, someone I bought a lot early in the offseason. I'm souring on a little bit because of this opportunity cost and concerns over recovering from the Lutz Frank surgery. So uh, I don't think you're overconfident there. I mean, maybe you are a little overconfident, Adam, but I'd rather take those shots on ceiling there than in the fifth, sixth round if you're bypassing those elite tight ends. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite of the late rounds is Mike Jasicki right now, and then probably Hawkinson, and then probably Fant. I don't know where you're at right now, Evan, but is there someone you found yourself consistently drafting when you go late round tight end? Yeah, it's it's been um, a moving target all all off season. You know, I've had my moments where I'm like, man, I got to get more Hawkinson, man. You know, I just did the Eagles team preview and I loved, you know, the way that it, it turned out for Dallas Goddard, you know, uh, Noah Fant at one point, I think I, I had him like, you know, maybe in the top 10 Hayden Hurst uh, re- really early in the off season. I'm really starting to come back around on him right now. I'm in the Chris Herndon phase and just moved him from like tight end 18 to tight end 11. And he's w- someone that I just want to put on all my teams right now. Um, his ADP is just, it's way, way too low. Things are really breaking right for Chris Herndon. Um, we had Adam Gase come out and, and, you know, declare that he is the starter, which I know it sounds stupid that there might be some, you know, some reason to not think that, but it, it's also true that Adam Gase was not there when Chris Herndon was drafted. Uh, in Adam Gase's first year, Chris Herndon was a ghost. And Adam Gase is a guy that like, you know, plays favorites with players and, uh, but, you know, it sounds like he's embraced Chris Herndon as a favorite. Denzel Mims can't stay healthy. They're changing out both of their perimeter receivers. You know, the other, the only other guy that Sam Bradford, Sam Darnold has any, um, you know, established rapport with there is Jamison Crowder. Uh, and, and he does have an established rapport there with, with Chris Herndon uh, from uh, their rookie seasons together. So, and Herndon balled out as a rookie. Like, let, let's not forget that. I think the 10th most receiving yards by a, a rookie tight end over the last decade. Um, you know, I think this, this Jets team is going to be pretty bad and they're going to be playing from behind quite a bit. And Herndon has playmaking ability and he's really, really cheap in drafts. And I, I'm trying to draft them on, on every team that I'm drafting right now. Yeah. Okay. The, the main problem with me going back to the middle tier for a second is that like you could not, I mean, it'd be impossible for me to click Evan Ingram over like, uh, DK Metcalf like that's just not going to happen or, or Darren Waller you know over Tyler Lockett like that that's just not going to happen so I just end up never naturally never taking that those middle range tight ends like Leonie talked about because I, it's not even that I want to poke holes in them which I certainly can but it's just because the wide receivers are so strong there so as we zoom out and look at the overall construction and the overall strategy you want to take I think Leonie it's just natural for people to be like I, I don't know man I'm, I'm taking wide receiver there over tight end every time. So I think that's going to be like the chalk construction. Um, do you make any cases, Leone, for taking some of those tight ends over the wider series that we like in rounds four through eight? It's harder for me in managed leagues because getting those receivers is so important where you have to decide who to start. When you're in a best ball league, 
there's some ancillary benefits to taking a tight end like an Evan Ingram, who I'm high on, even though there's some health concerns, because one, it allows you to only take two tight ends if you're taking a better tight end, which affects your team construction. And two, you can make up for the receiver points by just drafting a ton of receivers when you don't have to decide who to start on a weekly basis. That just doesn't apply to a managed league. So uh, if these guys fall deep enough, if you're talking round seven, Evan Ingram, seven, eight turn, then I'm in. I'll, I'll risk the upside there and take him ahead of this next big tier of tight ends. But before round seven, there's just too many good receivers going through three through six. I don't really care if it's chalky. And if you do miss out on Ingram and Waller, you know, this is a good year to draft off Evans tiers in particular at the tight end position. Cause Evans got this huge tier five and you can really wait and just sort of cherry pick the last of the tier five and get maybe your favorite running back, you know, stashes in rounds eight and nine, instead of saying, I'm going to take Austin Hooper in eight. Well, just see which of this tight ends from the tier last to round 10. And maybe I'll also convince Evan to throw Blake Jarwin into this fifth tier. No, I've thought about moving him in there. <laughs> um, yeah, no, the, I'll just read off the names. It's a great tier. I mean, it's, it's Herndon, Chisicki, Hayden Hurst, Hunter Henry, Noah Fant, Dallas Goddard, Ian Thomas, TJ Hawkinson, and maybe Blake Jarwin. I mean, a couple of those guys are going to have good years, like inevitably. Um, and hopefully we can avoid the landmines. Uh, do we want to, I was just thinking, do you want to explain a little bit the Hunter Henry ranking? Because we're way under mark on Hunter Henry, and I agree with you, I but interested on your take on that. No, I, I like him, you know, obviously as a player, I, I really like him as a player. I think that this offense is almost a full fade. Uh, the, the chargers offense, they're going to play at one of the slowest paces in the league. Uh, I think Pat Thorman uh, fully agrees with that. We've, we've discussed that they're going to have uh, one of the, they're going from an offense that was quarterback that finished, first of all, finished top 10 in pass attempts last year to, I mean, every time that Tyrod Taylor has been a starter, um, you know, his offense has finished near the bottom of the league in pass attempts. There are, you know, legitimate uh, competitive target forces uh, with the Chargers in Keenan Allen and uh, Mike Williams and Austin Eckler. Um, I like Hunter Henry as a player. Uh, I don't want Chargers on, on my fantasy team this year because there's just there's not going to be a lot of volume there. Um, okay, before we get out of here, I, I want to talk about how many think we didn't mention on quarterback how many we think people should take. And we talked about a lot this on best ball. It's certainly more important in best ball. And if you're playing best ball, I'd suggest that you read the optimal position allocation articles that Leonie and I did. But for just a standard casual home league, I think it's fine to come out with one quarterback. Leone, is it okay to come out with just one tight end of your draft, or would you recommend people take two? If you're taking a top five tight end or top four tight end, those first two tiers, I definitely think you should only take one. I think it's way more important for you to stash another upside piece, you know, a running back that could with an injury become just an absolute dynamite league winner type of a pick. You want to stash as many of those lottery tickets as you possibly can. And if you draft an elite tight end, you're starting that tight end every week. If they get hurt, yeah, there's some risk. You have to go to the waiver wire and figure it out. But I think the extra stash is worth the risk. Now, if you're in Evans' fifth tier and you can get two tight ends that have a decent amount of upside there, I'm fine with that. But I think once you move past Evans' fifth tier, with the exception of maybe Blake Jarwin and Eric Ebron, who have some upside, I, I just don't see any point in taking a second tight end. It seems like a wasted roster spot. 
Yeah. And a lot of this is going to depend on how big your benches are and stuff like that. But I think generally speaking, that's right. Okay. We've said it all about all four positions. Really hope you guys have enjoyed this positional breakdown series. If you did, go ahead and leave us a review. We would appreciate it. Season's coming up, boys. We'll be back with a bunch more pods this week and next week as we careen towards week one. And then we'll get into all the DFS stuff, which we have a ton of big plans for. So for Leone, for Silva, for producer Luke, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. (laughs) 